From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. Last Monday, people in Myanmar woke to find their internet and phone lines cut. Army soldiers soon started occupying the streets and roadblocks appeared in major cities. Then, the country's leader, Aung San Suu Kyi, was arrested. A statement was read out on military television announcing that a one-year state of emergency had been imposed. Myanmar, which had been slowly transitioning to democracy after decades of army rule, was now back under complete military control. Today, world editor at the Saturday paper, Jonathan Perlman, on the coup and what happens next in Myanmar. Jonathan, I think to fully understand what is happening here, we need to understand Aung San Suu Kyi, the the country's now detained leader, and more specifically her relationship to the military. So could you tell me a bit about her and and her rise to power? Yeah, she's had an incredible life and an incredible rise to power. She left Myanmar at age 15 and spent much of almost the next 30 years overseas. She studied at Oxford and while she was there, she, she met her husband and she actually told him before they married that she had some sense that if her people ever needed her, she was going to go back to Myanmar and he agreed to that. And eventually she did go back when her mother was sick in 1988 and this was just at the time of early pro-democracy protests and she quickly became a leader of those protests. She helped to found the NLD, which is still the party that was until last week ruling the country, at least uh, had a majority in parliament. But she was repeatedly arrested and put under house arrest by the military. She spent a total of 15 years under house arrest. And that's, you know, that's when she started to become well known as this pro-democracy leader who was constantly being arrested by the military in Myanmar. Mm, I remember hearing a lot about her back then while she was under house arrest. She was really this role model for human rights activists and there were a lot of stories, I think, that lauded her, her stoicism and her fortitude under pressure. And I think that there was a lot of hope at the time that, you know, she would be able to instigate democracy in Myanmar. Yeah, that's right. The Nobel Peace Prize laureate, 1991, Aung San Suu Kyi. She won the Nobel Prize in, in 1991, but wasn't able to collect it because she was under arrest. I stand before you here today to accept, on behalf of my mother, Aung San Suu Kyi, this greatest of prizes, the Nobel Prize for Peace. There was a movie made about her much later in, in, in 2011. When we believe you are the only person who can lead Burma into democracy now. Not, not a great movie. <laughs> but um, she, was, uh, she was awarded all sorts of prizes by human rights organisations. That Amnesty International have chosen Aung San Suu Kyi as the recipient of their Ambassador of Conscience Award really was well well known and the, the international community was, was following her plight closely. And then finally she was released from house arrest for what we thought was going to be the last time in 2010. 
And in 2015, she was allowed to compete in elections for the first time. Then they won this huge victory. Aung San Suu Kyi and the people of Myanmar have waited 25 years since the last free election in their country to get to this point today. And the NLD, the National League... And there were great hopes for, for Myanmar. Barack Obama visited twice. I'm proud to be the first American president uh, to visit this uh, spectacular country, and I am very pleased that one of my first stops is to visit with an icon of democracy who's inspired so many people, not just... And Myanmar seemed to be moving towards democracy. But it really didn't take long for things to go wrong. Right, so how did things go wrong, Jonathan? Can you tell me about what happened? Yeah, so I think the the big change in her international reputation was caused by the terrible atrocities towards the Rohingya Muslim community in Myanmar. So this is one of the many, many ethnic communities in Myanmar, but they've never been recognised by the military or really by the NLD. They're seen by m- many of... Myanmar's rulers and also the the public, who is mostly Buddhist, about n- almost ninety percent of the population is Buddhist, as Bengalis who don't belong in the country. So, in late two thousand and sixteen, there were some attacks by some Rohingya militants on some army and police posts. The details are a little hazy, but in response, in two thousand and seventeen, the military just led this ferocious um, and horrific crackdown. Doctors Without Borders estimate that 9,000 Rohingya died in the month that followed the start of the military crackdown in Myanmar, which began in late August. Including the use of gang rapes, there were mass killings, arson. One of my sons was lost while crossing the border. We could not tolerate the torture of the Myanmar government. They killed our people. Bodies were lying there. In the end, more than 700,000 Rohingya fled to Bangladesh and you know, many of them are, are in uh, refugee camps there now. Thousands more Rohingya remain trapped in Myanmar, where the army has begun what it calls clearance operations to root out Rohingya fighters. And Aung San Suu Kyi defended this. More than 50% of the villages of Muslims are intact. They are as they were before the attacks took place. She blocked international inquiries. She said that this was a matter... There were allegations and counter-allegations on both sides, which was ridiculous. As the UN has suggested, this is sort of tantamount to ethnic cleansing. And Aung San Suu Kyi even appeared at the International Court of Justice to defend the military. Please bear in mind this complex situation and the challenge to sovereignty and security in our country when you are assessing the intent of those who attempted to deal with the rebellion. Surely, under the circumstances, genocidal intent cannot be the only hypothesis. And really, I think that was the... um, Her reputation was, was already completely tarnished, but really that was the point at which it was clear that status that she held as a sort of international beacon of human rights and democracy was wrong. 
and suddenly she was no, no longer seen by the West as a hero. The vote is unanimous. Oxford City Council takes away the freedom of the city from Aung San Suu Kyi. Five Nobel laureates have written an open letter to Aung San Suu Kyi, urging her to stop the persecution of Rohingya Muslims. We appeal to Aung San Suu Kyi, our sister laureate. Thank of little children. I mean, the question really now is how has Aung San Suu Kyi fallen so far from grace? Um, I found but despite Aung San Suu Kyi's um, fall from grace in the international years, she still has enormous support in Myanmar. And there had been a sort of uneasy truce between her and the NLD and the military, but clearly that has now ended. We'll be back in a moment. Need a reminder of what political leadership looks like? Australia's master of political satire, Jonathan Biggins, is back embodying the iconic Paul Keating, visionary, reformer and rabble-rouser. Due to overwhelming demand, one-man comedy The Gospel According to Paul is returning to the Opera House, on from the 4th to 23rd of June for its final term ever. Secure your tickets now at sydneyoperahouse.com for an unforgettable evening. With award-winning news coverage and reviews, the Saturday paper is essential reading for everybody. For a limited time, subscribe to a year of our quality, independent journalism, and you'll receive the Saturday paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. The Saturday paper. No hot takes. Jonathan, Aung San Suu Kyi's uneasy truce with the military seems to have well and truly ended. As part of the coup, she was arrested and charged with possessing illegally imported communications equipment, specifically walkie-talkies, which human rights groups have described as completely trumped up. So what motivated the military to take this kind of extraordinary action at this moment in time? It had been brewing to some extent in the days before. This coup occurred just as Parliament was about to sit for the first time since an election last November. And at that November election, the NLD won a huge victory, much greater victory than expected. It won 83% of the available seats. And this military takeover came just as the election results were effectively going to be enshrined and the NLD was going to take its place in Parliament. So the military was claiming that there were as many as 8.6 million or 10 million instances of voter fraud in the country and that the NLD had to address this. The NLD dismissed this allegation as completely baseless and all election observers agreed with that. And the Election Commission also rejected the claim. So the military's excuse for the coup was that the government was refusing to accept these voter fraud claims. But there were other reasons, perhaps, why the military did this. I think with this overwhelming election victory, there were concerns that Aung San Suu Kyi would push to become president. She's currently barred from being president because her late husband and her children were foreign citizens. There's a special constitutional clause which was put in place really to stop her becoming president. 
And so there were concerns that, that she might somehow push to change that, as well as try to change a rule that 25% of Parliament's members are reserved for the military. But really, she was never able to develop a good relationship with the military chief, Min Ong Lai, who was appointed in 2011. Min Ong Lai clearly has ambitions of his own. He is 64 years old and faces retirement from the military this year when he turns 65. And many analysts believe that he would like to be president and is planning on entering politics. And perhaps this election loss last year really convinced him that he had little prospect of taking on Aung San Suu Kyi and that he was going to need to do something else if he was going to fulfil his political ambitions. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, Jonathan, what you think is going to happen next because the military said that they were taking control for one year. I think, though, you'd have to be pretty naive to think that that will be the case. So how is this likely to play out? Yeah, it's difficult to predict. Aung San Suu Kyi has called for public protests according to a statement that was released by her and if there were huge public protests, they could potentially be suppressed by the military Some analysts think that what Min Aung Lai will now do is change the electoral rules and Aung San Suu Kyi will be possibly barred from running in the election and that there will be some sort of election which he will eventually be able to win and become president. At least that that is what many people think is his plan with this coup. Otherwise, the international community has begun to act. Over the past few days... We've been in close cooperation with our allies and partners to bring together the international community to address the military coup in Burma. This is really the first test or first foreign policy test for Joe Biden since becoming president, and he's made it very clear where he stands. There can be no doubt in a democracy, force should never seek to overrule the will of the people or attempt to erase the outcome of a credible election. He campaigned on restoring democracy inside the US and so he has made it very clear that he wants to see democracy reinstated in Myanmar. The Burmese military should relinquish power they have seized, release the advocates and activists and officials they have detained. So he is now considering reimposing sanctions that have been lifted after Myanmar began to transition to democracy. That position has been backed by much of the international community. Australia's position has been a bit more equivocal. Australia has not been as firm against Myanmar as countries like the US and the UK. I think it's a difficult position for Australia. Australia is in a slightly different position because it is really weighing up its relations with with ASEAN countries, with Southeast Asian countries and many of Myanmar's neighbours who tend to take a very, very quietest approach. Mm. So, Jonathan, do you think that this marks the end of Myanmar's transition to democracy? It looks like it will be, at the very least, a temporary end. Some things have changed in Myanmar since it began to move towards democracy 10 or so years ago. The internet is is popular in Myanmar, so there's some more freedom of communication. But the 
military has you know, imposed a one-year state of emergency. It's got full control over Myanmar and it's really unclear whether we'll see another grand you know, emergence from house arrest of Aung San Suu Kyi and another tilt back towards democracy. I mean, that's still at this stage very hard to know. Jonathan, thanks so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Ruby. Thanks a lot. Winnie Dunn has made a career out of helping others find their literary voice. And now it's her turn in the spotlight. This week on Read This, join me, Michael Williams, as I chat with Winnie about her debut, Find it wherever you listen. Also in the news today, the federal government has announced a digital vaccine certificate system allowing Australians to provide proof of vaccination against COVID-19. The Express Plus Medicare app and online MyGov accounts will both hold digital proof of vaccination. And over 70% of the close contacts of a Victorian hotel quarantine worker who contracted COVID-19 have now tested negative to the virus. However, health authorities said it will be another week before all the results are in and the state can be sure that it dodged another outbreak. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow. 